I know that. that a hot dog is not a sandwich. You know why the hot dog is not a sandwich? Why is a hot because dog? language is living, and there's a reason the hot dog is not a sandwich because we already have a word for it, and it's hot dog. Hot dog differentiates itself from the sandwich category by virtue of the fact that it already has a label. In order to label a hot dog a sandwich as well as a hot dog, it would then carry two labels, and labels are, in language, to a degree exclusionary. You seem very heated about this hot dog sandwich thing. I've just given it some thought. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in your day. I want to thank you for making me a part of it, and welcome to Rob Takes On, where the hashtag is silent. I'm your host, Hates Me Rob, on Twitter, and it's a great day for a great day. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 12, I believe it is. Maybe it's 13. Who knows at this point? We are just in the midst of Season 2, and now I feel like I need to check. I'm pretty sure it's 12, though. Anyway, that's it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant because it's time for the episode, so here we are. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. Initially, want to say a thank you to my sponsors as well. Just kind of get the get the dirty work out of the way first so we can just get right into business when it's time to do so. Uh, so shout out to Pedialyte as well as Anchor. Thank you for the sponsorships and for paying me money to talk about you sometimes, but as well as fueling my addiction of talking to myself in an empty room. Thankfully, no empty room today. Really excited about my guest as I am every week, uh, and we will bring him on in just a moment. But first, my Rob takes on of the week is graduating and not actually moving on. So, uh, and we'll talk about that, I guess, throughout the episode. It's going to be a common theme today. Uh, But I have found myself quite frequently over the course of the past month or two on uh, on the campus of my alma mater and... Something that I've run into quite a bit is, didn't you, didn't you graduate? Like, what, what are you still doing here? And like, yes, I did graduate and I did pick up a diploma. However, rude, uh, I still, you know, work in the area. And so I like to swing by and come around. So with that in mind, this weekend, I'm on campus again for work because I thought it would be a great idea to work remotely during one of the very few holidays I get in the month of April uh, because I hate myself. Um, So I'll be working Friday night, Saturday, doing a little bit of tweeting, Facebooking, and editing this show. Uh, So it really all works out just fine. And at the end of the day, what better reason to come to campus than to see a good pal? That pal this week, going to be my guest, his name, Jeffrey Lorenz Niehaus, I think is the middle name. I'm just reading his degree right here. Graduated from a school in Indiana. Is that right? Is that right? Indiana? That's right. Indiana. Purdue. Am I saying that correct? Yes. Okay. So Cradle of astronauts. <laughs> Jeff Niehaus, going to be on the show today. And by going to be, I mean he's here right now, live at the time. Jeffrey, Jeff, Dad, welcome to the show. I'm just here so I don't get fined. Are you? Who's gonna find you? <laughs> when do I get paid? Uh see about that. Yeah. Right. Uh, about that. Um, no. When your first show aired, I wrote you immediately. Did I not? And what did I say? Do you, you said, remember? I need to be on the show. I need to be on the show. I have to be on your show. I need to be on your show. I want to be on your show. Put me on your show. And I and said, now, okay. After sucking up for what is it now? Ten months. Season two, episode twelve. It is. Yeah. Right. Now you're finally in my office. Drinking my coffee, eating my candy, 
Well, I've been coming to your office, drinking your coffee, and eating your candy for quite some time well, now. That's, that's true. It just happens that I. It just so happens that I have a microphone or two and something to record our conversation right. on for once. And here, here it is, my my big break. I just didn't think the people were ready for you yet. You know. Oh, you think they are now? Still no. You're yeah. Okay. Right. You're right. I'll I take just, it easy. I think that. You know, there there is like just a natural flow in the in the season of my life that brings me to Newport News on occasion. And I had this like I had this idea of how I wanted to break down the show. And I was like, I I have all these guests in a pool that I can use. Like, I even drank your damn Pedialyte. Tell me Pedialyte's not good. It's I'm like, not going to tell you Pedialyte's not good. Yeah, because it's good. Because it's, it's good. It's good stuff. It Hashtag a, not just for babies. No, it has it has a place in the diet of every healthy individual. Sorry it took so long. Hey, whatever. But uh, you are you seem so jaded. There's just a, like, I'm mad that I'm... Life I'm, moves I'm, slow. Yeah, well, you know. Here we here are. We are. Here we are, finally. So, Nihas, tell me about, I guess, I guess, tell, well, I know, but tell yeah. tell my friends and my mom... Yes. Who you are and like what what it is you do, a little oh. bit about yourself, why we're friends. Okay, um, I'm Niehaus. That's what you call me. That's my name. Yeah, I think that's best. Uh, I don't like Doctor Niehaus. I don't like Professor Niehaus. Yeah, it makes me sound like a self-important weenie. And I know I'm not a real doctor, so like let's just dispense with that. Kind of like a dentist. No, dude, a dentist knows things. <laughs> dude, a dentist knows things about teeth. I trust that a dentist knows things about teeth. Things that I will never know about teeth. Somebody like me, there's nothing I know that you couldn't learn in a night. I just know, like... A lot of it. A lot of it, right? But it's not in-depth. It's not... It's not. It's, it's, it's really kind of amazing just how much... Uh, uh, who I am and what I know is just a slow accumulation of little stories and narratives... Because um, I can't do anything particularly special. The PhD in psychology doesn't let you do anything particularly special. I can't work on teeth. That would make me valuable. That would make me real. <laughs> I, I I just able to talk about some things that, and if that's what my job is, then I guess I have a place. See, now you said I, you know, I like to go by Doctor Niehaus right. because that makes you a self important weenie. weenie. I would argue that without the doctor, then you're just a weenie. Yeah. I mean, just in general. Yeah, yeah, right. No, for real. Sure. But at that point, you know, could I have a job? Could weenie be my job? Could I make money weenie? The, the gig economy, the weenie gig economy is, is really kind of hurting you. Uh, you really have to have a side job. You have to have a day job. Um, uh, that I is true. I have to do this full time. I have to get, get, get paid for this full time, despite the fact that I actually do this about nine, ten months out of the year. And during those days when I actually do it, there are about two and a half hours worth of work per day that I actually have to show up for. So So what do you do? What do I do? I talk. You just hang out with people. For the most it part. It seems like. Yeah, so all right, so I'm a lecturer here. That means that I don't have to do research. I teach four classes per semester. Um, I'm a regular faculty. I have my own office in which I can sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in which I can sleep as well. Absolutely. Um, and then I got to do all sorts of stuff behind the scenes. So I got to, I got to grade. I got to prep stuff. I got to do committees. I got to do service work. I got to show up on Saturdays every once in a while to talk freshmen into coming here. Um, and then, you know, other university service, which most importantly involves a little bit of faculty advising for clubs that I am associated with. Two of those are a piece of cake. I hardly ever have to interact. They come to me when they need things. 
that's Psychi, the Psychology Honor Society, and I think I'm still technically on the books for Extreme Measures, the acapella group. <laughs> but if there's any black hole like inescapable time suck, it's Delta Upsilon. And into, <laughs> into that conversation here, because uh, I think the only reason we interact ever yeah, at all right. in any way, shape, or form is because we are brothers of Delta Upsilon. Upsilon. Yeah. Um, and you're right. It is a it is a black hole of <laughs> that's just time I am never getting back. No. Um, now, my experience as an undergraduate and your experience as an undergraduate, I'm assuming, not even assuming, I just know we're very different considering you were a D1 frat star and I was a D3, I wouldn't even call it frat star, I was a D3 weenie. The experience of collegiate fraternity life has gotten significantly more crazy as time has gone by in my mind. It was tame in 1992 and 1996. There were five years worth of minor shenanigans, which then when I sit down and talk to somebody have been distilled into like three or four stories that took place over five years that give people the impression that there was crazy happening all the time. Yes, we ate a snake. Yes, we would sing naked on campus on occasion. Yes, this, yes, that. Uh, but, you know, that was maybe an, a, a, a worthwhile thing happening every eight or nine months, and the rest of it was just the same basic crap. Now, the difference is that we had an actual house. We had an 80-capacity person house uh, on the top of a hill overlooking the rest of campus. We could have parties there. We could hire bands in there. We could have however many hundreds of people black out the windows um, and, and invite an entire 36,000 person undergraduate campus with lists that we would hand out to every other Greek organization. This is not how it's done anymore, but we would give a list to Kappa Sig. We would give a list to the Fijis. We'd give a list to, to all the different fraternities. They put people on that list and then people would show up to see whatever band we were having um, and into our party. Okay, great. That was a little bit more wild and different because there's nobody who has a house in which they can hold functions like that that is officially the ownership of the chapter. That's the big difference. And my God, it is such a headache off of me that we don't have to worry about maintaining, paying a mortgage on, and having liability on a property. You have no idea how nice it is not to have yeah, to Yeah, I believe that. that. I believe that. But other than that, no. it was We were dweeby. We were nerdy. We were dorks. Weren't you guys the Glee Club frat? We were the Glee Club fraternity, my we were God. always man. been a weenie. Dude, it was weenie, weenie, weenie. But, but hey, when the university singing competition came around, Suddenly, everybody wanted to be our friend. So that was nice. And we won, like, every time until people stopped caring. Yeah, we never won anything while I was in college. Yeah, no, no, We no. were in the, the in, still in the inception mode. I yeah. think they're five years deep at this point. Yeah. You you guys, we you won at a bar trivia last night. Last night? Last night. Last night. Some so we're good at trivia. trivia. We're yeah. good at Jeopardy. Yeah, okay. That, that is our Wait. thing. We're the Jeopardy frat that does makes questionable decisions, but at least we don't do Schedule One drugs. That's true. Nor do you make them. No, nor do we produce. That's something that you don't do. We also don't. But uh, I'll be sincere. I will be absolutely sincere. I love you guys. I love having you on campus. I love knowing that I have people 
that I have something in common with that are running around on campus. I love that when I show up to chapter, people are happy that I'm there. Um, I love being a part of something and, and being able to connect with people who are still doing one of my favorite things in my whole life. That was like the best, one of the best experiences of my entire life was just, just the, the, the eight semesters of college. And which is probably why my life never really moved forward after that. <laughs> what did I do? I found another college. What did I do after that? I found another college. What did I after that? I took a job and went to another college. What did I do after that? I came into another college. I never... And then you went to Budweiser Beer School. Then. That was 1996, man. 96? 97. I was born in 96. I understand. So you went to beer school the same year that I was born. Yeah. Right? Wild. Right. So, like, I never left campus. So anybody who asked me what it's like to be a grown-up, I would say it is a, it is a, it's a, it's a experience of stasis where you just never stop doing the thing that you couldn't get over. Which was college. Which is college. <laughs> wow. Um, so I guess then, what when you when you made that transition from being an undergraduate and mm-hmm. being an undergraduate Delta Upsilon to now, or like I guess because it's been a long time, yeah. but that immediate transition through the first year or two, what was that transition like? And like, was I mean, I guess. What was that transition like? You want to hear something pathetic? Yeah. Really pathetic? Sure. All right. I finished college in four years. Everybody around here does it. Pathetic. Pathetic. Nobody I nobody I was in the house with finished in four years. Everybody was taking five years. I felt cheated. Ripped off. Gypped. I had to go. Everybody was doing five years. So I didn't leave. I stayed at the DU house. Having graduated. Lived there. Had my sweet mates. Worked at a restaurant, volunteered at a local urban ministry, and took on a totally BS alumni advisor position, which was basically a way of getting another renter in that house for the alumni board so that they could keep it a little bit closer to its capacity. That was my first year out of college. (laughs) I was a waiter. I say that with disdain for some reason. It wasn't. It was a fine job. It was a great job. It's something that people need to do. I like the fact that I spent a year in a restaurant because now when I go to restaurants, I know what the experience is of the people serving me and I got a little bit of empathy, which I think everybody should do. But that was my that was my year out. Then I applied to graduate school. Why did I apply to graduate school? Because I thought that's what you were supposed to do. Yeah, I'm not... I'm about to finish my first year out. And obviously I didn't stay in the DU house, but... I might as well have for that yeah, first right. first couple of months, and um, they were very much like, "Hey, um, you gotta you gotta blast, my dude." Um, I mean, was it weird? I mean, what, what was the? You know, has yeah. anything changed in that sense where like alumni, like where you were still around, but people were like, "Why are you still here?" It, it, it wasn't. It was the fact that I was still a part of the day to day life. I was still. In the house. I was still hanging out with my roommates every day, every night. The rules applied to me. The, 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 the people that I came with were still there. Everything still applied to me. Except that it just so happened that when other people were going to campus to go to classes, I was going slightly off campus to work at the restaurant. And since like being in class was not really the biggest day-to-day portion of, of the life of any of these people, it was just something like you kind of left your life to go do and then you came back. 
that life didn't really change all that much. So it was like I was a fifth year senior, except I just had a really, really, really light schedule. That's what it was kind of like. So it wasn't it wasn't particularly weird. The fact that there was a diploma somewhere tucked away in a in a folder really didn't change my relationship to the whole structure, to the whole uh, just little little society that we had there in the house. Everything was pretty much exactly the same. Now, if I had moved, if I was away, if I had a job, if I came back occasionally, if I came back often, it'd be a different category. It'd be a different kind. It'd be a different thing. I fit into a different category of person. But for me, it was just it was just really weird. And I got joked around. I got ribbed. That was fine. But but it, but it was it was very different. So when you finally left, so after right. that fifth year. Yeah. Um, what was that? I like? went to Colorado. I didn't come back for years. So, oh, I mean, I guess what was settling in Colorado like? Because I know we're about to have... I would look at my shoes, which were the same shoes that I would wear when I was at a show or singing or something, and, like, cry because I wasn't doing that anymore. The thing that I loved, the thing that, like, really made me happy to do it, like, identity singing the being around the people the, it was not there and like i would just sit sometimes in a chair and look at my shoes and cry and it was terrible but it was awesome what i'm getting i guess what i'm getting at is that the like there are about to be another maybe 1200 graduates yeah. of cnu and there are about to be like hundreds of thousands of other graduates in the country about to just go somewhere else mm-hmm and they're all about to just start doing this whole like life thing, adulthood yeah. that we're all expected to just know how to do. Right. What was the hardest thing for you finally making that transition once you finally left? <laughs> Luckily for me, when I got in, got to Denver, there was a cohort of people in the master's program just ready and waiting to be new best friends. And we were together constantly we did all sorts of fun things we went out to the bars we did so so that was nice to like land there among people who i really enjoy their company but the hardest thing was especially for me is that i was not in any way successfully extroverted in my entire high school career or in the first couple of years of college it really wasn't only until concerted effort like junior and senior year to appreciate how fulfilling it could be to actually hang out with people, to actually have fun, to actually party a little bit, that I realized just how fulfilling it could be to, to, to just consistently socialize. To feel popular for the first time in your life at like 22 is kind of transformative. And so I, I, I just had finally gotten a taste for that. And then the... 80 person group that was unequivocally accepting and nurturing was then gone and replaced by a smaller still a lot of fun group and and that was tough but again i was still in school i was in the master's program instead of an undergraduate program i was still going to classes so you really never did i mean i know you said that already but like you've never really left school so i didn't i didn't really leave school i the, the closest I ever so got to leaving school was after I got my master's in counseling. I took a job 
in downtown Denver, working mostly phones, of people calling in to do intakes for mental health services. That was two years worth of job. So other than that, it's just been school, 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 and teach, 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 teach. Right. Now, what has your experience as a teacher been like? I mean, like as a professor, as a lecturer, as a... Look, I love it. I um, love it. It's, it's, It's amazing. I mean, so what is, I mean, kind of go into what it is that you teach on a, I, I would say like on a base, basic level, but like on like a level that, I mean, I, okay. All right. I took one of your classes. Yes. And I pass failed and you were a butthole about it because I just wanted to pass. And I was just right. like, Niehaus, just give me a passing grade. I'll stop coming give to class. Me. Give. Give. Give me he's a just, passing he, he grade. He said, you got to earn a passing grade. Like, Jesus. I said, just give me a passing grade and I will stop coming to class. I will stop bothering you. I will let everyone else in this class actually learn and I will stop being a nuisance to the class. But Which no. Were, but I've had worse. But no, he says. He says, no, you have to earn your grade and you have to come to class. And so I came Did to class. not. That's a lie. That's a damn lie, Rob Smith. <laughs> I require no one to come to you my You said classes. to pass a class, you should probably be here. Should pro- Here's a good strategy for passing my class. This is an efficient use of your time as a student to come to the classes and get it live instead of having to read a book. Fair. So the point is, I retained very little, if not any, information okay. from childhood psychology. I remember like... The ego and the id and like. My favorite thing to do in college was not go to class. I don't remember very much about what I learned in class as an undergrad. I don't remember it. It didn't, none of that stuck with me. Okay, just a couple of snippets here and there. I enjoyed performance. I like being on stage. I like singing. I liked being in my quartet. I occasionally got solos. But that was awesome. That was great. Being up in front of a group and like riding that wave of you don't know what's going to happen, but you know it's going to be okay and it's going to be exhilarating. That was awesome. And teaching is basically that, except you get all the solos all the time. And it's not music. It's a topic. It's not music. It's psychology. It's not music. It's development or it's social. All right. So that's what I'm still enjoying doing. It is still, to me, a theatrical stage application. And I think, and I've always liked that. Even when I was a kid, I would dance around for my mom and my mom's friends and people who would like film me in those little 35mm 1970s camcorders to grease lightning in front of a wall full of mirrors in my very, very sketchily 70s era decorated home. Dance to Grease lightning. Grease lightning! And to a degree, I still am. I'm having I'm having fun up there. Alright. So yeah, alright. So I don't want things that are that'll fit on a flashcard. I don't want people memorizing facts. I don't want people just reading along with the book and then I tell you what was already in the book and I like read my slides off to you. That is awful. To understand. I want people to actually understand. And this frustrates people. People who want it to be easy. People who want to just... Yeah, right? That's me. Who, who don't want more. Yeah, I I'm force-feeding you more because otherwise, I'm going to get bored. Yeah. And remember, this is all about me. I mean, it's your, your class. It's your stage. It's my, I mean, it's my class. It's, I get it's that. important to me that I enjoy this job. I mean, 
I was definitely just there for credits, and you knew that. But yeah, um, which is an honest way to approach it, and I don't have a problem with that. Thanks. No problem with that. Yeah, I mean, like, I came in taking the class because I wanted to take a, a knee house class because I was about to graduate and wanted to just dick around for a semester, knowing oh, that yeah, I right. could probably do that and still pass the class. And I knew going in that you weren't just going to give me a passing grade. I knew I was going to have to earn a passing grade. But I also didn't think childhood psychology – I didn't think childhood psychology was going to be as, as – hard as it as I ended up being for me. I don't know why it was that difficult for me to grasp or for me to but I just obviously didn't put as much time into it as I should have to gotten to to have gotten a number of points to not have to show up to the final, but still had to be there. But yeah, no, I mean I was just there for credits and to just joke around. And there was definitely a cohort of people in that class that was like, Man, I can only enjoy this class because Rob is here and like he is making this fun for me. And then because the, he just doesn't care. And then there are other people in the class who are like, Man, I wish he would just shut up. And I loved that. Like because it was your stage, but it was also kind of mine a little bit. All attention is good attention. Is that, is that what we're hearing? Basically, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, there was a time where literally in the middle of class, I was like, hey, Niehaus, I'll be right back. Got up, went to the registrar's office, filled out the pass-fail form, walked back into the classroom while you were lecturing. <laughs> you looked at me and said, oh, I was just filling out the pass-fail form. And you hear a couple of people in the class just giggling, like, hee hee Like, should I laugh? Like, this is funny, but, like, I don't want to interrupt. Like, from Niehaus, is he going to get mad at me if I distract anymore? Then this jabroni has already distracted us. <laughs> And you're like, cool, good for you. Sit yeah. down. Like, yeah, I encourage pass fail. I don't like it when people grade grub. I was that kid. I'm not, I, I still grade grub. It's total hypocrisy because that was my essence of existence. But like, oh my god, pass fail it. Just settle into the this to the for its own sake. Get credit for the class. But pass fail it so that you're not worrying about the difference between eighty nine and ninety percent or eighty three and eighty four percent. And I encourage that. It was from there that I, I, from that point on, that I enjoyed the class a little bit more because yeah. I didn't have to worry about. I mean, granted, I didn't worry about the grade in the class at all. Like it, at that point, like I just needed to pass. I was gonna graduate. Like I just needed the credits, and that's really why I was there. I'm not a psychology major, yeah. and like I didn't need the class at all. Yeah. Um, I needed the credits, and I could have taken those credits anywhere. But from that point on, I was like, I can just kind of take in this information as I want and use it in my daily life as I can. But it's really not that big of a deal if I don't do well because like I'm still probably gonna do okay enough to get like a D in pass class. Yeah, I, I don't know. And it doesn't impact their GPA, which is the biggest thing yeah. for me. Is that it's, I didn't it's fine. Want it's good it to... for the joy of it. There's nothing that crushes the actual enjoyment of doing a thing that takes effort than being rewarded for it. Here's one thing to learn today. There's this thing called over justification. Over-justification is when you might have an intrinsic motivation to do something, but you put an extrinsic motivation on top of it, and it kills your desire to do so in the first place. Like a grade. Like a grade, or like pay. Right? Do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life. Remember somebody says yeah. that BS? Yeah, but wrong. Start getting paid for what you like to do, and you'll stop enjoying it. It ruins hobbies. What I would say is get a job that you can do. Get a job that you can get some satisfaction out of, but... But, but if you like doing your hobby more than your job, you haven't failed to do your passion. You're a freaking human being living in a society, make, taking part in an economy, and you have your passions, and hopefully you don't 
experience abject misery as you go throughout your workday. But if that's not the thing that you would have been doing, even if you had a full range of things that you could do, then you haven't failed to get the right job. And I think a person. I think that that is something that young people are so afraid of. It's like they get this job right out of college, right? And they hate it. I was like, I don't like what I do. I'm miserable. And I just, this like, I, I have hobbies and I volunteer and I do X, Y, Z and that, this, that, and the other. And I enjoy that. But I dread going to work every day. It's like, you're not, yeah. like, a job is a job for a reason. It's not supposed to be something that you always enjoy doing. It doesn't doing. have to be. I, don't get me wrong. Like, you're in yeah. a position where you enjoy what you do, obviously. But yeah. that's something that I'm sure has taken time for you to get there. I'm extremely lucky. I'm sure you didn't like whatever that two-year job period was. No, I I hate it. And that, and here's but the we thing, all I have hated, to do that. I hated the work. Yeah, I, I don't have the temperament to to do therapy. I don't like what I do, but I like the people I work with. There you go, and that's good enough. What is I guess one big piece of like advice that you would have for? For people who are going through this, you know, 20 to 26, this I'm in college and now I'm right. not in college, period, all from right. someone who's not only just been through it, but like has kind of seen all of the, the ways it can impact life. All right. Here's the thing. When you were in about eighth grade, going into ninth grade or high school, that was the point at which you needed to sit down and create a 40-year plan for your life. Yikes. So I'm okay. behind schedule. Yeah, you're behind schedule. If you did not take that opportunity and you instead wandered into high school without a plan, it's guaranteed that you will never have joy uh, in your life, in your work, in your relationships. You will die miserable and alone without ever having a fulfilling contribution to society in your life. That's kind of sad. Right. Okay. Good now, start. Good start. Yeah. Okay. So take that message and then think about whether at some point you actually believe that that might be true. That's not the truth, but that's a fear. That's a fearful message that I think people have at some degree, at some level. Like, what do you want to be one day? And then you say right. what you want and to be. And if you don't have it figured out, you're toast. And if you look around and you look at other people who do seem like they have it figured out and they're going to be okay, but you're not going to be okay because you didn't have the, because you are not having the grit to follow through on a plan that you committed yourself to at some arbitrary point in the past. That creates anxiety and fear in people because they think that's the way it's supposed to work. So what would I say? I would say, are you graduating college? Great. Do you know what you want to do? Yes. Wrong. You don't know what you want to do. You've guessed. You've taken a guess about what it is that you want to do. And it may turn out to be a good guess or it may turn out to be a bad guess. But you don't know. You don't know. Unless you have gone to a trade school. Unless you have actually learned a, a applicable, here's what I'm going to do every day, trade. And instead you have a liberal arts education that has prepared your mind to do something else. You don't know what it is that you're going to do. You don't know if you're going to enjoy it. You don't know if it's going to last. So give yourself freaking permission to know that you don't know what it is that you're going to do. I thought I was going to be a biologist. That lasted about a year and a half. Then I wanted to go into psychology because that's where people didn't know anything about the field that they were studying. Graduated with a psychology degree as a bachelor. 
thought that the people who really understood psychology were the therapists, so I went to meet with them. I went to go find the guru on the mountain, the person who did the therapy who could tell me, open up the book and tell me how human beings worked. They didn't know either. They told themselves that they knew. Everybody had a different idea about what they thought was going on. They ran around. They did what they needed to do to help people, which turns out to be not the goal that I had. I wanted to know stuff, and knowing stuff is different from helping people. So fine. So I got out of that and I went to study evolutionary psych, which turned out to be the closest approximation that I could find for people who did have a fairly decent model about how things worked, even if they hadn't had time yet to apply that model to all the different areas of human functioning. I thought it was going to still be a researcher. I thought it was still going to break wonderful new ground. I was still going to find things that nobody else had ever known before. And that piece of knowledge put into society was going to bear my name. I was going to be awesome. And then I didn't like research. So here I am, graduated, worked a year in a restaurant, spent another two years in a master's program, spent another two years after that working in the real world as a therapist, spent, and I'm now in a PhD program out in California. I'm three or four years into this PhD program, and I'm like, research doesn't get me up in the morning. Teaching gets me up in the morning. I like preparing my lectures. I like giving them. I like meeting with students. That's what I like to do. Oh, crap. How many years out from college has that put me now? One plus two. I'm like seven years out of college and I'm kind of like, hey, here's a thing that I might want to do. And I did. And I'm still enjoying it. That could change. I could end up doing something else. But people get wrapped around the axle thinking that they ought to have known exactly what it was that was going to fulfill them for the rest of their days at any given point in their life. Wrong. You don't have to. Damn. I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of goes back to just a common theme that I've found over the course of 12 episodes in this season, 17 episodes <laughs> in season one, is that it's okay to not know. Yeah. And, like, it's okay to not like what you're doing right off the bat because that's not what you're probably going to be doing no. for the rest of your life it's really not that like you will do other things and like that if it's a rough patch it's it's a like there are other things beyond that so if you if you have time illustration here not just declaration of knowledge but illustration i'm going to see my brother tomorrow my brother who was my absolute north star and idol and object of worship throughout my entire childhood and i still feel that way to a certain degree is by every measure a successful individual he went to princeton as an undergrad i went to purdue public school oh my god oh geez right he went to chicago law if you know law schools it pretty much goes yale harvard chicago he got a job with law firms in Manhattan. He now has his own boutique law firm. His wife works in the banking industry. They have, I don't know what kind of cash flow goes through their, their household in a year, but I'm fairly sure that it's significant. Successful by every exterior measure. I am convinced that my life, though not as secure materially, though not as guaranteed in terms of, of employability, is a more satisfying life on a day-to-day -day basis. So I'm getting less money out of life, but I'm getting more life out of life. And I talked to him about that. He's like, do you like what you're doing? He's like, no, I hate it. I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. But the, the life that has been set up requires that he be a lawyer. 
you can't pay the building fee on a three-bedroom Manhattan apartment even if you own it without having a very decent income. You can't send your kid to the private schools that they need to go to. You can't have the lifestyle and the expenditures that you want for that life without that kind of job, with that kind of income. It just doesn't work. I mean, it seems like a very true reality and a lot of people like do what you like as opposed to what pays you money and live base a life around yeah. that instead yeah. and of... And he's not a miserable it. human being. Yeah. I'm not going to give you... It's like, this is not somebody who... No, but I mean, I, his... that's not the only situation I've ever seen that be yeah. the case. Right. And um, so, I mean, I like enough what I'm doing. I, I get pleasure out of my daily existence. And it's nice. But if you commit yourself to something because that's going to be an unalterable decision going forward... Uh, you foreclosed on possibilities that might have been open to you that you might have wanted to pursue. So you might be in better position if you don't know than if you pretend you do. Huh. Huh. You leave me, like, every time we have a conversation, you leave me, like, just with so many extra thoughts, just <laughs> gear spinning that I'm well, just I'm glad, to... I'm glad you decided to go public on our third therapy session as opposed to just having them in private at a bar or in the office. Okay. You know, a couple of beers in. I feel like I'm being called out, but that's fine. What? Oh, hey, how about this? How about how about, this? how about we go to we, we schedule therapy session number four yeah. for another bar because I preferred those over espressos. So yeah, okay, right. So <laughs> can we find it someplace with pinball? Yeah, anything that's not there's a new bar in Norfolk. I think. I think oh, I've been there. It's called Pixels. Yeah, I, I've heard about it. Uh, so we can do that. They got a medieval madness we'll machine. They got a monster bash machine. Both in fairly good shape, even though the right flipper in medieval madness is a little bit weak and it makes it hard to hit the loop shot. But you whatever. Said about that. It's fine. That's what we'll do next time. Good enough. We'll save it for next time. So for you guys, next time it's a week from now. Uh, we have no idea who next next week's guest is going to be, but I'm sure I'll figure it out by then. And uh, before we get out of here, Niehaus, do you have any final thoughts? I, For all of you who are Rob's friends, for all of you who are Rob's family, um, thanks for supporting him and his venture here. Uh, for anybody of that age, please know um, I love being here. I love meeting with you. I love having you hang out. Uh, that's why I've got what I've got in my office. I try to make it a, a welcoming place for anybody. Um, I, I absolutely enjoy being a part of your experience um, at this age. I think it's magical and fascinating and wonderful. And I never wanted to leave. And so I've really worked my world <laughs> consistently I mean, never did. Never over did. the decades to make sure that I could at least vicariously keep getting that experience. And, and you just got to know um, that I love, love, love being here with and for um, all of you of that age. Jeff Niehaus or a thick Peter Pan? Who really knows? <laughs> uh, a lot of just, I mean, I'm sure that if you're anything like me, you're probably walking out of this and into this thinking, I'm just going to have to process that for a little bit. And <laughs> that's how I always am walking out of Forbes 2075. But for now, I want to thank you as always for tuning in. And until next time, I don't know if I would recommend following Niehaus on the social medias. Twitter is toxic. I'm off. I don't think he has them. So if you ever want to catch up or get to know the, the man, the myth, the legend that is Jeffrey Lorenz Niehaus, you can swing by Forbes 2075 
on the campus of Christopher Newport University, I would recommend. Although you're gonna have to come here to figure out his office hours because they are evolving just like psychology is, I guess. I don't know. I really don't know. That's way above my head and I have some time to figure that out over the course of the next week and we'll see you guys then. Until then, you can follow the lackluster adventure that is my life on Twitter. I'm Hey It's Me Rob, reminding you that it do be like that sometimes. And as always, don't do anything I wouldn't do. You'll find it's a pretty short list. Say goodbye, Niehaus. Bye, Niehaus. Goodbye.